Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Jason Rugg, filling in for Josh Lindsay. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Jason. So happy to be here today. Thank you for uh, filling in for Josh. Yeah, happy to do it. And we are joined again, as always, by the awesome George Champa. How you doing, George? Fine. I might have to turn the air conditioning up. You guys got me hot and bothered here. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We've had a few technical difficulties this morning, but we we are back on track. All right, Jason. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Well, George does that. Uh, Christian, can you give us a quick Why? update about the film? I think you said you might have a, a, a few quick little things. Yeah, I do want to give you a few little updates. So, um, you know, we are now in our 22nd day of launching our film. It launched on June 1st, and you are going to get a live update of exactly where we are on iTunes because we keep, um, we keep like, it's very volatile. Every single time I check the, you know, charts, uh, we have moved into a different place. Last night, we were 147th, but earlier oh, wow. in the day, we had been 89. And so right now, I have no idea where we are. Uh, I'm scrolling. I'm now at 171. Uh, not quite sure where we've landed. The goal would be in the top, to be in the top 200. But uh, I may have to spend a little bit more time looking at this because so far I've been through the top 200 and I don't see us anywhere. So unless we have jumped up, um, you know, to a earlier spot, uh, we have fallen back farther than we would have wanted. And I would say that's the one thing I've learned about iTunes is that it is very volatile. They must update it every hour. There is, and I haven't been able to find any rhyme or reason for how to stay in the top 20. Um, so, so that's where we are with that. Um, you know, it's Which, kind of been frustrating. Let, let's be totally real here. To be in the top 100 at all ever is a pretty big accomplishment. To have been in the top 10 for quite a few days is also a pretty big accomplishment. That's that's in every movie, every documentary movie on iTunes, right? Out of the that's entire true. documentary catalog. Yeah, that's true. I know. To have maybe been there I'm... for almost a month. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that, that's I'm a pretty big accomplishment. Getting a little greedy. I don't know. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we're... When am I going to be in a top 100? I don't know. We got to get your movies up there, George. Uh, speaking of George, George is here to finish talking to us about his life and career. We're still trying to get to his film career. and uh, But George had told us he wanted to say something before we begin. So, George, the floor is yours. Yeah, well, you folks that haven't seen me before on uh, Christian's wonderful podcast, um, you know, I am a World War II veteran, uh, served in five campaigns, France, Belgium, and Germany. I was in the 607 Graves Registration Company. Our job for 11 months, every day was picking body, picking up the dead uh, from D-Day all the way through Battle of Belgium to the end of the war in Germany. Uh, I just want to mention one thing. Uh, you know, uh, many other servicemen had tough jobs, but they say that we had one of the toughest jobs of the Army, uh, seeing death every day, like like medics. And, um, you know, I had a big fear of death as a little boy, and I'm, I don't have time to go uh, in depth to talk about that, but when I was five years old, I uh, experienced death. And again, at seven years old, in the family, it was very traumatic for me, where I thought I was dying. 
And so I uh, uh, had to live with that past experience when I turned 18 and uh, being drafted uh, in the Army and getting in graves registration. So I did break down one day and a lieutenant pulled out his 45 and stuck it in my ribs and said, suck it up, get your ass back out there. So with that, uh, let's give you a little uh, brief intro as, as to who I am and what I did in the service. We had one day off in Paris and that's a story in itself, but I won't, I won't, I won't uh, take any more time. Christian, go ahead and uh, shoot me the questions. Sure. Well, I do want to say we will do another follow-up uh, podcast for our Patreon listeners of that one day in Paris. So if you want to hear about that one day in Paris, join our Patreon and we'll do a special uh-huh. episode with George. That was something. <laughs> All right. So, George, we've gone through the most of your life. The last week we talked about your time after the war, working for the L.A. Times, raising your children. What I want to know is I know you became a filmmaker at 81. But how did that process start? How does one just decide at 81 years old to become a filmmaker? Can you read that? Let freedom ring. Yes, I see that on your shirt. You're showing us a let freedom ring. With the bell. Okay, that's the name of my 501c3. But my website is letfreedomringforall.org. Go ahead, Christian. So my question is, how did you decide to be a filmmaker at 81? Well, okay, in 2005, before I started my 501c3 and became a filmmaker, uh, I tried to get gates on a military cemetery in Belgium called Henri Chappelle. I know a lot about Henri Chappelle because I was at the temporary cemetery, Henri Chappelle, for almost five months. I mean, from September until February when we moved into Germany, we had 17,300 Americans, soldiers, heroes buried in that cemetery. I've gone back there and done a film, by the way, where I took teachers and showed them the grounds where where, where the dead, uh, where we brought the dead back from the battlefield, yes. which was a farm. And uh, and so uh, when we took over to, uh, to make a temporary cemetery out of it, of course, that was in September 1944. Uh, okay. Um, the question was, how did I get into this? Well, for the whole year of 2005, I tried to get gates on that cemetery. The APMC, American Battle, Battle Monuments Commission, who builds the permanent cemeteries and maintains them, they were very upset with me because I had written letters to everybody I knew, media, uh, politicians, you name it, trying to, trying to get gates on that cemetery. The general in charge of of that wrote to me and told me, I still have that letter, told me that he didn't want to put gates on that cemetery and give it a fortress-like appearance, which would discourage people from visiting the graves, which was ludicrous because all of the other cemeteries in Europe, I don't know anything about the Pacific, I'm talking about Europe, all the military cemeteries there uh, have gates except Henri Chappelle, with the exception of one World War I cemetery uh, on the outskirts of Paris that is still what they call an open cemetery like Henri Chappelle because there's no gates on the cemetery. All the rest, I've been to all the cemeteries, all the permanent cemeteries in Europe, and they all have gates. This has a road running in front of it, 
not where the graves are, but, but in front of the entrance is a road, a very busy road. On the other side of that road is an overlook area where we have an American flag and you look down into the beautiful villages of uh, Belgium. And so uh, I, I was very upset that, that I couldn't get gates on it. cemetery. I was even willing to do it myself. I was willing to raise the money to do it, uh, but they didn't want to do it. So what they did uh, eventually, they put up what they call security. They had some security lights and they put up some little hedges around the overlook area where people used to come on their motorcycles and cars from Holland and do drugs in the oversight area. And drugs are you know, illegal in the Netherlands. So I'm not talking down to Netherlands uh, people. The Dutch people are fantastic. But what was happening there, I mind have a museum two miles from that cemetery called the Remember Museum. It's still operating, by the way. Uh, and uh, that's another story in itself. Um, they called me to ask me to do something about what was happening there with, um, with people running their motorcycles through the cemetery, right through the graves. And so that's why I got on it for a whole year. Well, there was a retired general that I met when he was still active and he was in Belgium. And, uh, and so I contacted him and uh, he and another gentleman working for him was a military re retired uh, uh, lieutenant, uh, lieutenant general, I think. No, he wasn't a lieutenant general, lieutenant colonel, I'm sorry. Uh, and they said to me one day on the phone, George, have you ever thought about taking teachers back over there to teach teach the reverence of the cemeteries? And I said, well, yes and no. I said, you know, I'm not too interested in, in hearing veterans in these schools, not the schools that I know of here in California. But then I thought about it. So I called the assistant superintendent of schools, who was the principal of a school, high school where my kids went. And I said, hey, John, do you, do you remember me? Remember my kids? Oh, sure. Well, his father had been in the military. His father was buried at Arlington. And uh, he said, uh, you're talking to a military brat, George. Come on in and see me. Because what I was trying to do is get teachers from his school, four high schools in Torrance, California. I wanted young history teachers to, to go over there with me because all of a sudden I decided, why don't I do a film about this? Uh, and so, and so I did. I got three young ladies and a young man. And thanks to uh, uh, John Schmidt, who's one of my uh, directors, board directors. Uh, and uh, he's been retired now for some time. Anyway, I went over there and did a, did a film. So that's how I got into filmmaking. I did a documentary. I was only going to do one. And I got so many emails from people telling me, because my mission is to teach young people in particular about the high price of freedom. Now, people like myself and people in Gray's Registration and medics, we saw the high price of freedom. We know what the high price of freedom is. You know, I think about it every day. Do I dream about it? No, I've never had it. I've never had a nightmare. My sisters, when I came home from the service, said I did. I don't remember a nightmare. Do I think about it? Yes, I do think about it. I think about all these guys my age, 18, 19, and 20, that I had to face, which was very, very difficult for me. I did it like a robot uh, for 11 months, as I said, every day, except one day we had off in Paris. And that was, that was in the August 
uh, right after Paris was liberated, we got involved in that big parade there and people throwing flowers at us, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it was it was great. And I'll tell you that another time as Christian said to talk about the day off that I had because I threw caution to the wind. And not only did I throw caution to the wind that day, but but after the war ended. Yeah, we did hear a little bit about that. But I want to ask you, tell me in total how many films you have made um, and the names of each. Okay. I've done six documentaries starting in 2006 for, for over 14 years. And I've done them in France, in Belgium, and Germany. And uh, all of my films have done in France, Belgium, and Germany. The first one, The Lesson is Priceless. And the reason that's named The Lesson is Priceless because we took four teachers over, young history teachers with a horizon ahead of them, who I still have contact with. They're still teaching these kids with my documentary that I did, that first documentary, that they're, they're in that documentary, talking to people who lost their freedom firsthand, and also combat veterans that I took over there from the first division to hear about their experiences and mine. And so that was a first film. As I said, I got so many emails. I wish I still had all of them. I started collecting e emails a lot later. But anyway, I, I, that's what keeps me going. You know, uh, people, <laughs> I've had a few people, maybe one or two, tell me that I had an ego. I said, well, you know what? Yeah, I guess I did have, you know what? You have to have an ego to be able to accomplish anything. I mean, what about all our politicians? They have no ego. What about the president? He has no ego. Yeah, I have ego, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about that ego. I was doing something where I wanted to show what the, what the high price of freedom is, and I've done it, and I'm happy I've done it, and I've been very gratified by doing it. I haven't earned any money doing this because I had a 501c3, 100% nonprofit. I had all I could do to raise the funds. I worked day and night and weekends raising funds to do these films. So what was the second one? The second one is called Memories of France. They're, they are both, uh, both of them are called Let Freedom Ring. Let Freedom Ring, the lesson is priceless. One of the teachers did a lesson plan, by the way, for students. And the second one is Let Freedom Ring, Memories of France. That was about the Normandy invasion. I, I took two teachers that time and, and a, a female journalist and a young male student that's majoring in history. He, He's dead now. He died of COVID at 35 oh, that's after being in the Coast Guard. Mm. But anyway, uh, that, that, and I had three First Division uh, combat veterans who landed on D-Day as I did. And so there's a picture on that front page of the four of us. Um, and, okay, and, and then the third then one? The third, the third one, uh, I won't tell you how I got into it, but it, it's called the... Fallen Heroes of the Mighty Eighth. The Mighty Eighth is Eighth Air Force. It operated out of England in World War II. 20,000 killed, 40,000 casualties. More killed, more casualties than anyone in the Pacific, more than the Marines. And that's something. And anyway, I thought, when I heard about this through a friend, because uh, there's a researcher involved here who researched the crashes of all these American planes that crashed and invited their loved ones over so they could uh, see where their loved ones crashed. Anyway, I did a story about that night. I had uh, 
I think it's eight or nine living veterans. Uh, one of them, I just heard about one dying yesterday. He died in December. I didn't know about it until yesterday. And Bud Lindahl, he was a navigator in the 8th Air Force. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm getting all, all these stories now. Acquaintances, like another, another acquaintance, Fred Whitaker, just died the other day, celebrated Father's Day with his family. And the next day, he had terrible pains in the stomach, took him to the hospital, and he died the next day. Mm. My age, by the way, which was the 96th. Uh, he also uh, turned 96 in this month of June, like like I have. And I, my birthday was the 16th. I'm not sure what, what day, but I know it, oh, it was June. I remember being at his 90th. That's uh, so heartbreaking. Okay, I'm so sorry. that the next film. Okay, I'm sorry I get off on too many tangents. I know that that's the story of my life. My wife tells me all the time. But you know what? That's what makes stories interesting is tangents. That's true. And, and so anyway. Okay, the fourth film was called They Will Never Forget. And this is about people uh, over there, Europeans, especially in, in Belgium and in Holland, uh, those two countries. Uh, uh, in Holland, and particularly, there's 8,300 buried there, and, and every one of those graves has been adopted, even the names of the missing in action on the pillars of the cemetery. And, and many of them have been handed down now because of the original adoptee has died and turned over to a family member. And it's wonderful what they do. The young people over there have websites and what they investigate who the soldier was because on the crosses and stars of David, you have no date of birth, only the date of death, which I know is approximated sometimes. And so uh, I wanted to do a film about these people. I had many of them in my film talking about their soldier. Uh, and uh, I even had a German mayor who adopted three graves there. And in my film, he says, uh, you know, you, you Americans didn't, didn't come over here to, to defeat us. You liberated us. Interesting, huh? And I found out later, later again on, the, on, on one of the films I did talking to a lot of citizens. That's true. They feel we liberated them. All right, that's a third, uh, fourth film. The fifth film is called America's Finest Ambassadors our armed forces, because in every war, since World War I, our men and women in the service have adopted, not, not adopted, have befriended the kids of uh, our, own, our own kids and, 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 and our allies, but, but also, uh, as, as I showed later in my next film, I'll tell you about, uh, well, it's this film I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fall. I'm talking about America's finest ambassadors. I went over there and did a film, uh, and this was my fifth film, uh, about the German kids. Because I saw these German kids, because after the war, I got put in the Army of Occupation for seven months. And I saw these forlorn kids, many of them orphans, and looking for love and attention and food. And so we gave them that. We gave them that love and attention and food, and they remembered it. And so I did a film with, uh, oh, how many? I can't remember now, 12, 14, 15 German people between the ages of 76 and 86 who were kids during the war. And they talked about what it was like for them in the war. And they told, told about the American soldiers and what we did for them and, and giving them food because they were kids were eating out of garbage cans. And so they told what it was like with, with the soldiers. 
And, and I have a picture of me on the cover of that DVD, holding a little two-year-old German girl. I sure like to know where she is now. But anyway, uh, and, and these little kids that were in my Jeep, I say my, my Jeep, and that's another story about my Jeep, I'll tell you, uh, in another. Yes, we did there. We did hear about your, your Jeep. So, okay, uh, we're, yeah, we're okay. running out of time. The last one, quick, the yeah. last one. I, the last film uh, is is uh, is called D-Day Veterans Return to Normandy 75 Years Later. I'll leave it at that. And so that is the one you most recently filmed and in in 2019, I think it was. Yes. Um, and you can go and learn more about this um, at Let Freedom Ring for all.org. That is George's website. You could also make a donation there. Um, George, like we have talked about on another podcast, I'm going to try to help George uh, translate this latest uh, movie into French so it can be shared with the French people. We'll see how we do with that. Um, George, I, we have a few more minutes and I'm going to ask you one question. I want you to think about um, the challenges over the course of time making a film. And we have a lot of filmmakers that listen to our podcast who are, you know, they're struggling to make their own films or figure out a path or understand distribution. Um, and if you had a word of advice to give to young filmmakers, um, you know, to help them avoid some pitfalls or troubles, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh, wow. I tell you what, you got to work hard and most of the time for no money. And uh, unless you're Ken Burns, Ken Burns is a very famous documentarian. And uh, he has done a lot. I'm surprised he didn't do a documentary about the 75th anniversary of Normandy because that, that, that battle in Normandy changed the course of the world, winning that battle and moving on from there to end the war in Germany. Uh, but what a device, what I, first of all, be prepared to not make any money. Secondly, be prepared to work your ass off. And if you're really dedicated, you're going to work day and night. Ask my wife, she's in the other room. Day and night, weekends. You're married to this project more than you are to your wife. Ask my wife. It's, it's, it's uh, what you're going to get out of it if you're successful is gratification. That's a big word. No money attached to gratification. <laughs> and well, uh, she's laughing. She's a first time documentarian and she has won a lot of awards, a lot more than I have won. And uh, I have won some awards, but not like she has. I'll tell you that, you know. Well, I, I'm laughing, George, because even though my film has done well and I have won a lot of awards, um, what you're saying is true. It's a hundred percent true, particularly for the independent filmmaker. I think, you know, particularly when you're first starting out, you do have to understand the playing field and the playing field is, it is really, really hard. And, and it is not for the faint of heart. And you do need to talk to your significant others in your life early on and say, this is going to be all consuming and may cause trouble in our relationship. Can you stick with me? 
Um, we may not make any money off of this. You know, it could be for a passion project. And I agree with you, George. Gratitude is the payoff. Having people say, we appreciate what you did. You've changed my way of thinking. Thank you for blessing me with this story. Um, you're right, George. That is gratifying. Yeah, you uh, you have to be really dedicated. You have to believe in what you're doing, I think. I mean, if you don't believe in what you do, you've got to raise funds. That's not easy. I've had a lot of heartbreak from multimillionaires that I thought I was going to score with and didn't. And uh, I can, you know, I could write a book about that. I could write a book about a lot of things. And you all could write a book. Everybody could write a book. But I'll tell you something. Uh, I can make people cry. <laughs> I can make them laugh. And I can make them wish that I am a nutcase. I can make, make them think that I'm just the most wonderful guy in the world. I get, I don't get any derogatory emails. But but I'll tell you, I sure get a lot of positive ones. And if that is what you need for your ego, then I've got ego, you know, because if I didn't look, if you don't have ego, you don't believe in yourself. How are you going to get anything done? You do you know have I mean? to you have to have a sense of purpose and identity and being grounded for sure. And um, you're right. I mean, you have to know who you are. And you have to think that you can accomplish a goal. And George, you are certainly certain of who you are. You own your past. You own the good things and the challenging things. And we have been very blessed by you being here. And the stories that you have told us, the time that you have spent with us, your advice about filmmaking even just now is wise. Um, you know, I am so thankful to have gotten to know you. And I'm so thankful our listeners have as well. Well, thank you, Christian. You're, you're, you're uh, flattering me now. That's <laughs> great my ego. Uh, well, but, you've, you've but, earned it. But you know, uh, Christian, you know, I can't believe, yes, I can. I was gonna say, I can't believe what you've been doing. But yes, I, I believe it. You, you, you've got the passion to do it. Like you said, you need the passion. And a dedication, and you, you need to work hard to get the funds. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do this if you don't have the funds. I thought I was going to have to put my own retirement money in this last film I did, and my wife was upset with me. She said, George, I've told you before, you should be doing a documentary about your own landing on D-Day and not bringing all these other veterans, because it took me almost a year to find all the veterans that I took to try to find guys that could speak and also that had the fortitude where they could handle a trip like this. And unfortunately, nobody got sick on my trip. Everybody made it. We had one guy that passed away uh, just recently. He was a paratrooper, 101st Airborne. And I try to get a cross-section of, of service people like Airborne, Infantry, um, Combat Engineers, Air Force, uh, Medics. Uh, I just had a cross-section uh, of, of veterans. And there were 10 of us all together that told our story about D-Day. And of course, there's a lot of more I would like to have told. And there's a lot more that the other guys would like to have told. But, you know, a film is an hour and a half long. I mean, you know, how much can you put in it? But I think people got a lot out of my film. 
I got a lot of, I learned things doing my, and that's another thing. Every film you do, you learn things. And, and, you, and after you finish with it, you say, oh, damn, I should have done this or that. You always think of something that you left out or something I shouldn't have put in or whatever. Because if, if you're a perfectionist, like I am, ask my wife. I keep saying, ask my wife. Remember that comedian that says, take my wife, please. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, the comedian in Vegas, I can't think of his name right it's now. It's Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, yeah, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, take my wife, please. But, you know, I've got a good wife, and my late wife was a fantastic lady. Uh, and she passed away when she was 50 after being ill with lymphoma for five years. And I, the thing I'm most proud of, ladies and gentlemen, is you're looking at a guy who raised two kids, 10 and 11. The girl was 11, boy 10, for 10 years and without dating. Me, an Italian, and I didn't date for 10 years. <laughs> And, and, and a lot of Italian guys cook. I couldn't cook. Oh, I no. Knew to, I knew how to make eggs in the morning. That's it. And I couldn't, didn't know how to wash clothes. I ruined my daughter's clothes by putting too much bleach. I said, Dad, don't do that anymore. Don't put any bleach. But, but I, I raised these two kids and got them in, a, in the private universities uh, that I, in Notre Dame, my son and my daughter, University of San Diego, both private institutions. I paid all of the tuition nobody helped with that not the schools nobody and that's it i'm more proud of what i did you know during those 10 years than even my service i you know, hey look there's jillions of guys who are in the service there's jillions of guys that had tough jobs but i don't think there's jillions of guys that went through a five years with his wife from age 45 to 50 until she died and then taking care of the kids with no help, no other women coming into the household, no help for 10 years. And now they're grown. I mean, my daughter is 51, has two children, one is autistic, and my and she's got another cross of air. She had the first cross of air when her mother died. My son uh, is gay. Uh, he's on his second partner. The first one was 14 years, and now he's on his second partner. And, uh, and, and, and there's a story on that, Christian, about me and my son, I would love to tell. Well, because, let's, let's. When I tell this story, if you let me tell it. I, I, I will, I will let you tell it, but do you think we could do it in yet another podcast? Yeah. Because you know, I. Well, I might be able to get some advice from your viewers because. Right now, I, I'm going through a tough time of being heartbroken over a situation with my son who just turned 50 in January. And I never thought this would ever happen. And so, because I was an ideal father, not only provided for them with love, food, attention, and generous with, they had, they had nice uh, portfolios when they got out of high school with Schwab. And so I, I'm damn proud of what I have done, and now I'm hurting. Yeah. And I want to tell that story because there's probably others going through the same thing. I'm not sure there is. 
I'm sure there are too. And I, I hate to cut you off because I love listening to you talk and we will make more time for you uh, to tell that story. But right now I have a, an important meeting actually with a potential um, sales agent for my next project, um, you know, in five minutes. So I don't want to miss that. And um, I will tell you my next project deals with the mighty eighth air force and the 467th bomb group. Um, and they were shot down over occupied Holland. And so we're going to be diving into the mighty eighth as well. And I certainly will use you as a resource. Um, before we leave, um, I do want to say that Jason has found out an interesting thing uh, while George and I were chatting. He did find he on his computer, actually, what does it say there, Jason? Yeah. So on my computer on iTunes documentary uh, and the girl who wore freedom is number 46. But then Christian can't seem to find it on her phone. And then she found a website that has all this, all these listings and it's not there either. So we're not exactly sure yeah. what's going on here, but it's and 46 on my end. <laughs> that's what I say, you know, about iTunes. There really is almost no rhyme or reason. The um, I'm looking at something called Pop Vortex that someone told me about. Uh, if you've never learned about Pop Vortex, I didn't either, but it gives you the top whatever. And there is a section for iTunes top documentary movies, and it gives you the top 50 Um you know, and it does it from every morning. So this update is from today at 11, 18 a.m. And we are not in the top 50 and I can't find us in the top 50 on my phone. However, on Jason's computer, we are in the top 50. So go figure. Yeah. There really is no rhyme or reason with iTunes. I can't figure it out. Uh, I'll give you an update if we figure out anything else next week. But George, thank you very much for being here. We care about you very much. And um, we're so thankful that you spent time with us. And we look forward to having you back. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Jason. And take care. at the bottom, Jason. Thank you, too, Jason. Thank you, George. Take and, us out uh, here, Jason. Thank all of you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.